0: It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time at the queue. It's over! It's over! The 52-year <laughs> round <championship laughs> is over! The Cavaliers it's over. It won the NBA championship! Cleveland, this is for you! Mitchell. Goes to the basket and buries Cornett! Garland high steps over the timeline, stops on a dime, hits the three! Garland has been unreal here in the fourth quarter. Jack
1: Black down to five. Leather. Walk by Mobley. Oh, my. Sing his hole. Dallas Allen and Allen
0: Seppel. Get that big stuff out of here. <laughs> the shoot around.
1: <laughs> Welcome back to the club. The Cavs have been on a Western Conference road trip, and it's been a little bumpy so far. It started with a loss to the Denver Nuggets, 121-108, to a win against the Phoenix Suns, 112-98, and now, most recently, a heartbreaker of a loss to the Utah Jazz, 116-114. to Frankly, the score doesn't reflect just how awful they played in the last few minutes of the game. Colin, I know the Cavs have struggled on the road this season, but these results are more than just a little frustrating, don't you think?
0: I agree with you, Adam. They are in a tough fight in the East because with this loss, they are now the fifth seed. So they need to get their act together. They are young, so this isn't completely surprising that they aren't eking out some of these road wins. And I'm hopeful that they can be more consistent in the second half of the season, especially with Rubio coming back. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or follow
1: us on the podcast player of your choice. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our video episodes plus extra content that doesn't make the show. And be sure to leave a comment. We'd love for you
0: to engage with the club. So Adam, you wanted to bring this up last week. The Cavs have been the best fourth quarter team in the league by net rating with a plus 9.7. This was going into the Jazz game. Why do you believe the team is able to be so effective at the end of games?
1: Yeah, I wish we had recorded this right before the Jazz game. Um, because yeah. obviously the there's a bad taste in our mouth right now about the ending <laughs> of a game. Um, which we'll talk about on the first question here coming up. But yeah, I would say Donovan Mitchell all day long. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see this team really being able to come back from a deficit in the fourth quarter without his help. It seems mm-hmm. to be his M.O. Like the guy just knows how to will the team, put the team on his back and just get them over the finish line. And he almost did it against Utah, which, you know, he mm-hmm. really wanted to since it was his former team. Um, but just the fact that in the waning seconds with point with one seconds left, he did drain a three and brought the score even closer. So as I said mm-hmm. at the top, the score is not a great example of of what the Cavaliers actually put together there at the end of the game. Overall, other than the Suns game the other day, where we saw them take a commanding lead in the fourth quarter with Mitchell on the bench, it's basically been Mitchell Mm. or we're going to lose. So, Mr. Fourth Quarter, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing your talents to Cleveland instead of South Beach. What do you think, Colin? (laughs) Why...
0: Other than Mitchell, is there anything else I'm missing for
1: why we're such a great fourth-quarter team this year?
0: I think the other thing I would add is their defense is still the top-rated, if not the number one defense in the league. And I think that teams take those first three quarters, they show the Cavs all of their looks, all of what's in their bag. And in the fourth quarter, when you have players like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on the floor – they're able to recognize quickly what reads are going to happen in front of them, what pick and roll motions are going to happen, who's coming off screens. And you're seeing that the team's defense is then collectively becoming more locked in. And I think that that is probably the other like bread and butter of this team right now is the fact that they have that ability.
1: One other thing to add about Mitchell that I just want to point out is um, just from the eye test, I would love to know what his conditioning routine is. Mm Because either the guy doesn't sweat, which is an interesting (laughs) conundrum, um, or it just seems like he's always fresh and ready to go. Like even when they've gone into fourth quarters, uh, I'm sorry, even when they've gone into OTs and things like that, I haven't seen a guy that looks like he's on his last legs. He looks like he's ready to play Mm -hmm. another game. Uh, so that's to me another reason why they have a lot of success in the fourth quarter that his conditioning alone seems pretty pretty solid to be able to make it to the end of the games and be out there to be effective on the court and at the same time I've also watched the Cavaliers coaching staff manage his minutes and have him sit on the bench until about six minutes left in the game if possible even when it's been close so maybe it's a little bit of both but um I've been pleasantly surprised with how the guy just seems like he's always ready to play
0: Mm-hmm. If he didn't sweat, he would probably be dead. So I'm just gonna assume he's yeah. making sure his like endurance I, is really up. Like I said, that would that would
1: be a whole round of other problems if he didn't sweat. Not <laughs> right, yeah. some glandular issues. Right, be out there drinking as he's dribbling the ball. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> like. As we mentioned at the top, the road trip isn't going well, with the team losing to the Jazz after Utah took the lead on a seven-point possession late in the fourth quarter. Did this game highlight further issues with our roster? What could have been done differently down the stretch?
0: First off, I just want to highlight that Mitchell had an amazing game, pouring in 46 points. And I actually thought Mobley looked really solid, considering that Jarrett had to leave in the second half of the game due to an illness. And the other guy that kind of impressed me was Lamar. I thought that he brought some good energy, played some good defense against Markkanen, and really messed up the Jazz's offensive flow at times. He was really good at being disruptive. Now, the guy that I will just um, the guy I'll add here at the end that I think we both agree should have played better is Karras. Levert had some boneheaded possessions, some boneheaded decisions here in the waning minutes of this fourth quarter, and I think that this loss is on him. I think the refs called a pretty ticky-tacky call, but the fact that Karras came back after that first ticky-tacky call and tried to man up on Clarkson again and he got called again for another foul. It was really on him. So those are kind of my initial thoughts about this game. And I'm sure that you have some more.
1: Well, I'll start where you left off, which is Karis Levert. And, you know, hey, he's a he's an NBA basketball player. He made it. He's been on many teams. He's a gifted, talented player. But I don't like watching him play. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's, he, he scares me a lot. Um, and that scares me But he worries me a lot when he has the ball Because I don't know if we're going to get good Karras or bad Karras you know, I don't know if we're going to get mm-hmm. fundamentally sound Karras or not And when he seems a little too sure of himself That's when I'm sure we're in trouble And that's what I watched I, I didn't get to see this game at, when it was live um, The entire time I kind of came in and out of it And I had to watch the whole game later And when I was watching it when it was live, I would have believed Karis had almost 40 points with the way he was out Mm -hmm. there jacking up shots Mm -hmm. and trying to make a difference in the game. And it's like, hey, Donovan is over there. You are Karis Levert, you know, and Mm -hmm. we need you to start acting like what you're capable of providing to this team. And it almost reminded me a little bit of Jetty and, and over the years of him trying to be something that he's not. Karis feels like he's trying to be somebody that he's not. And so when you look at the stat line and the guy only had 12 points and one of them was a four point play, uh, Mm -hmm. we need more um, consistent production from you. If you can't be consistent, then I'd rather have you on the bench because Stevens isn't going to be making some of those boneheaded plays that you're making.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You're, You're costing us the ability to maintain leads or even gain a lead because you're out there jacking up shots that just are not appropriate for that moment in the, in in the game. So obviously I feel pretty strongly about Karis, but but, uh, you know, I would like to, I'm still, you know, anybody that's listened to this podcast and, and you know this from all the time you've had to listen to me, I've been confused as to how we make Karis work on this team from day one. And I'm still confused when he plays like that. Um, I still think that he could be a great sixth man option off the bench, but he doesn't act that way. So I'm starting to lose hope that he could be as far as other points that I noticed in the game. You know, I'm going to lay a little bit of the blame of this loss on the, on the other co-leader of this team, which is Darius Garland. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put it on him simply because I don't want to see three games in a row where he shot the ball. 20 times about and made eight shots. Yeah, yeah. There was one for six from three, two for five from three, and then in, uh, against the Jazz, he was one for four. Yeah. He's got to step up his game and be more consistent as well because unfortunately, someone like Donovan Mitchell is making him look less. You know, mm. when Sexton was injured and Garland was one of the best options on the team, he looked like one of the best point guards in the league. And since Mitchell mm-hmm. has joined the team, he now just looks average. And I know he's had injury problems. I know it's been a tough season for him. You know, it almost feels like a sophomore slump for him, even though it's not. You Looking at his stats, he's still three points above his career average. He's still shooting percentage-wise right on the mark for what he normally does, both from three-point and regular shots. Um, his rebounds are the same. His assists are up, which is great. But, you know, with a guy like Mitchell on the team, they should be. His steals are about the same. Everything He's doing the work that you would cons- expect him to do, but we need to see him level up a little more. Yeah. And in a game like Utah, when you lose by two points, when you're struggling to get a bucket at the end of the game, and I look at his line and see 8 of 18, i got to lay some blame at, at Garland's feet too.
0: Yeah, I agree with all those takes. I think what's also interesting about what you said there with Darius is Darius has struggled ever since Mitchell came. I would possibly make the argument that Darius has also struggled since Karras came onto the squad. I kind of wonder if Levert is... He is a ball stopper. We know that he is. Other podcasts I've listened to, folks who know the game much better than you and I ever will... Raise this as an issue with the trade initially, which is Karras does not understand the flow of an offense. He doesn't move the ball in a way that allows an offense to, to succeed. And that's what I'm seeing, and I think that negatively impacts a young point guard who does know where everybody is supposed to be. But when you have Karras... Donovan and Darius all on the floor together, that's three people who are all trying to do isolation or pick and roll. Those are your only options. Karis doesn't slash that well. He doesn't hit spot up threes super consistently. So all of a sudden, that space that Darius needs to operate is gone. And it's not like they're really getting it from Lamar and Akoro as well, because they're both shooting under 30% from three right now and so they do need better shooters on the outside I think really to help Darius succeed but at the same time I think that with Lamar and Okoro Darius knows he'll get the ball back for an open shot where I don't think that that's what's happening with Karis I think that Darius knows as soon as he's giving the ball up to Karis it's gone (laughs) gone forever so, I think that to go back to the initial question, I think that that's where I would say the the roster is having a large issue, is understanding everybody's role, specifically when I say everyone, Levert. Um, I think that he's just having trouble fitting in as to what he should be to help this team succeed.
1: Yeah. And Ultimately, you got to lay some of that at the feet of the coaches, right? They still haven't yep. figured out a way to make Karras fit on this team. And some of that is probably... They had game plans for Markkinen and Sexton and other other people coming into the year that they knew they had to kind of completely start again when thinking about what they'd be doing with Mitchell. So maybe that also is a as a casualty of that situation that mm-hmm. they can't figure out what to do with Karras. They're still figuring out what to do with Mitchell. And, you know... It was exciting to see Mitchell come to this team and all the possibilities of what we could have in just the first season together. Mm -hmm. But we are seeing it play out every single game why it's going to take a few years to make this a championship team. And we could luck our way into it. It could still happen. We've got a lot of talent on this team. But every week that goes by, I see us kind of fall further into situations that we just don't seem to have a roster right now that can get us out of those situations. And so mm-hmm. since they're very commonplace of what usually bounces you in the playoffs, where you, you can't defend for the full four quarters or you can't put a ball through the hoop when you really need to, um, or you, you don't you can't find that second option when Mitchell's going off for mm-hmm. almost 50, who's the other guy going to be that night? Um, those are the questions that we need to have answered this year into next year, and then hopefully we'll be good. So I'm I'm kind of excited when these games happen. I'm not down just yet because um, it's still that process happening in front of us, which is, is really cool to see. But I love your Definitely. point about Karis and what he's taking away from Garland because I hadn't even really thought about what that did even when he came to the team last year. And really, we we kind of talked about that when the season started and we both were very unsure about him working out in the starting five and
0: he didn't. Yeah. And let's just say they would not be, we'll get into this in the, ne- in the next question. They would not be asking Rubio to come back right now. If they were a hundred percent comfortable with everything that LaVert has brought to this team. That's a good point. ESPN is reporting that Ricky Rubio is coming back against the Portland Trailblazers, which is exciting. However, Howell Neto is really contributing and acting as a spark coming off of the bench. What ways do you see Rubio being used in the coming months as the Cavs confidently bring him back from injury? So unfortunately, Howell Neto
1: playing consistent minutes at all, to me, is a sign that the Cavs are struggling to find some answers out there on the court. It's also an indication of how injury has continued to be a a problem for this team, that we can't seem to get any consistency with some of the guys that we really need out there every night. And uh, you wouldn't necessarily have thought of that as Dean Wade or Dylan Windler or any of those other guys, but the fact that they've been on the team for the last several seasons and they really know JB's plays, um, they really understand his offense and his defense, They can contribute, and Neto is really one of the only options right now. I think Rubio's injury, as you said in the last question at the end there, I think you're totally right, that he wouldn't be back right now if it wasn't something that he and the Cavaliers felt needed to happen. And that's because of the way they've been wishy-washy. Some games they look like they're ready to contend. And other games, they look like they don't have hardly any answers figured out, other than Mitchell just kind of pulling them along. I've been a little surprised this year at what I would perceive, at least visually, some of the struggles that Allen and Mobley have had throughout the year. And I think the struggles that I see are more about how to play with any kind of flow I, I don't feel mm-hmm. like the team has yet to really click together there's maybe been a handful of games where they have and everything else they've gotten great production from three or four guys and that's been enough to get them over the finish line whereas the rest of the team seems to really be struggling to figure out how to, how to play together and I think Rubio will be a huge addition to that I think he's probably doing as much as he can do from the bench a player's coach we talk about that mm-hmm But I really believe that once he goes out there, even for 10, 15 minutes a game, he's going to start helping those areas click better that that I was just mentioning. That I think you're going to see Allen and Mobley start to contribute more on the offensive side of the ball when he's out there. I think that you're going to see Garland and Mitchell's maturation actually grow stronger with Rubio out there to guide them along. Cause I think d- depending on certain sets um, and the matchups that they have in front of them, they could easily have all three of them out on the court at the same time. And if not, you're going to at least have Rubio spell one of them. And so he's mm-hmm. always going to be next to Mitchell or next to Garland, most likely. And knowing that Mitchell and Rubio have their relationship from Utah is another great plus. So, I see the Cavs bringing him in sparingly in the beginning and seeing what they can do to manage his minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes a game, 20 at the most. But 20 to me is where you want to end up by the end of the year with with Ricky. Mm -hmm. 20 to 25 would be fine. And from there, Neto is still going to be a, a big part of this team because Rubio cannot give you 30 minutes a night so you're going to need Neto to come in and spell him from time to time or spell Garland from time to time. It's nice that he's taken the opportunity in the last few games or these this last month uh, to show that he has value and that when we need to call on him, there, there are ways to use him that, that we can get something of benefit there. So I'll pass it off to you. I think those are kind of my main points that I wanted to highlight, that I think that um, Rubio's uh, veteran leadership and what he just provides on the court for his his understanding of the game and how he's going to be able to turn to these guys and give them more confidence in some of these moments. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I think that's, that's going to be his biggest concern. Uh, contribution coming back from injury.
0: Yeah, I kind of expect the same thing. I think that the way that JB used Rubio last year was he used him as a band-aid to fix certain situations that were going on during a game. If the offense looked like it was out of sync, if the defense was not doing what it should be doing, he would immediately call a timeout bring Rubio on to calm everything down the turnovers aren't as bad as they were last year with the Cavs as they are this year but they still have turnover issues and they still have issues where they're missing concentration there are laps in judgment and I think that JB will continue to rely on Rubio to be the smartest player on the floor Mitchell is fantastic the Cavs have a lot of great, amazing players and a lot of talent, but I think Rubio is still the most cerebral player that is on this team. He just understands basketball better than a lot of people in the world. That's the type of player that he is. I mean he was he was almost a child prodigy uh, on some level because he played at such a young age. So I think that JB is going to rely on that, just like what you alluded to, and that is the smartest route to take. I think that you will see him be brought out with 10 to 15 minutes, like what you mentioned, and hopefully by the end of the season it'll be closer to 18 to 20, but it's consistent and it's in a way to help Evan or help even Isaac or other players get into the flow of the game. I think that this team has performed really, really well, but it's with a leader in Donovan Mitchell who is fantastic, but he is a shooting guard that can play point, and I think that Rubio, we have seen, he is a point guard through and through. So he will be a distributor, he will break down defenses even better, which I in turn hope and pray that his ACL holds out and the the offense just improves. It looks like it's clicking on a better level than it has this season. So that's kind of what I see as well. And as far as Neto is concerned, Neto seems perfectly content to come in even for eight minutes and be a pest. That's what I kind of really like about him is automatically he's kind of like a point guard version of Lamar Stevens where it's if you bring both of those guys out on the floor all of a sudden it's full court press. The offense is uncomfortable and you're trying to force the other team to cough the ball up or get a rebound or a steal that leads to a fast break and I think that Neto will still embrace that and will still be able to contribute in that vein. Yeah, I agree. He adds a lot on the defensive side,
1: and it's just that when we're struggling on the offensive side, it's tough to put him out there because mm-hmm. we have a yeah. lot of other options defensively as well. Rubio's ACL is definitely something I'm worried about. I don't think when yeah. you injure it twice, it's kind of rare that you can come back at all, so I'm, I'm curious to see how it affects his quickness, especially laterally. Yeah, And one stat line that bothered me from last season that just kind of point sticks out at me still, and I'll mention it now, is that even though he averaged kind of at the top of what he normally does for his career for points at about 13 points a game, he shot um, 36% from the field, which is mm-hmm. back down towards the low end of what he averages. At times in his career, he's been up at 41%. That's kind of the best he can do. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see him hover around 38 or 39% this season because yeah. we already discussed Karras's inability to kind of be consistent. We don't need two guys to possibly be coming off the bench and you're not sure if they're going to make their shots or not. So um, I'm hoping Rubio can be a little more efficient. You know, we don't need as many points from him necessarily. We just need him to put the ball through the hoop when, when we need him to. And that's it. Yeah. Definitely the final seconds.
0: A few games ago, Evan Mobley had his first game winner of his career against the Suns. Do you think he will have more game winners? But most importantly, do you see him becoming more of the main offensive hub for this team in the next year or so? Well,
1: I think the future is bright for Evan Mobley and clearly we've said on this program that we feel that he could be one of the best in the league. And I think that means that certainly over the next few seasons, we could see him being the guy on this team. We don't know how long Mitchell will stick around. Uh, In about three or four seasons, he could be gone. So I think we both hope that Evan Mobley will be a career player for the Cavaliers that we'll never see him in another Jersey. It's kind of hard to ever imagine that, but it could be possible. And his work ethic his love for the game, how serious he takes the game too. Even though he seems to have a very good temperament, he's still a very serious player out on the court. He doesn't allow it to really get to him too severely where he then can't perform the way that he needs to. So I think with the right temperament and skill set and all the right package that he has, there's there's no way that he isn't going to be one of the best players in the league. I'm, I'm just going to call it now. But... This team has so much talent and there's so many open-ended questions over the next few seasons. I don't know when he'll need to step into that role. This year alone has been kind of surprising that I thought he'd be averaging closer to 18 points a game. Um, I thought that some of his stats would increase. Most of them have, but a few of them I thought would go up. Um, I thought his three-point percentage would increase and I thought his points overall would increase. And possibly if he was shooting better from three, he would have more points this year. Um, Right now, unfortunately, he's shooting at 20.9%. So, he is such a young man. And he has so far to go that it really has more to do with the fact that this is just his sophomore year, that it's very hard for me to imagine that He's going to be an offensive hub for this team in just a year or so. So that's that's where the question can't grab me. I think he has a lot more to figure out. He's, he's more of a defensive presence, I think, first and foremost, and he can give you 15 a night. And until he can figure out how to tap into 20 or 25 a night, I, I, I can't say he's going to be an offensive powerhouse um, until then. But I think he has the potential. And part of the question is, do you see him um, making more game winners? And I do. I really do. I think that's one of the most intriguing things about his game, that if he can calm himself down and continue to just shoot it off the games you know, and and practice as much as he can, muscle memory that shot, I believe he could hit the ball or or he could make a shot from anywhere on the court. And having a clutch shooter with his height, I mean, who, who can defend that? It's just like Kevin Durant. Um, if you could kick the ball out to a tall tree like that and you get a pretty good chance he's going to swish it, why not? Unguardable. So I loved that they thought to drop the play at all and that Mitchell passed off the ball the way that he did, and I'm hoping we see more of that in the future. Kevin Love just passed Anderson Varejo on the Cavs' all-time rebounds list. In his nine years as a Cavalier, that's an impressive feat. He's now sixth all-time. What current Cavalier do you think has the best chance to pass him one day, and why?
0: So congrats to Kevin. We've talked about how we weren't really sure how long Love would be a Cavalier. There have been many instances in his career where he was trade bait or trade rumors. And I'm just glad that he has found some happiness and is actually contributing to this team at a high level. And a lot of his contribution is his rebounding. Defensively, he's not super great. We know that. But his ability to get offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds has really helped this team this year. And it helped a lot last year as well. As far as current Cavaliers who are on the roster, I would probably go with Jared Allen. If Allen is able to sign another deal with the Cavs and they're able to lock him up and keep him around, I think that he has the potential to pass where Kevin Love ends up because he obviously plays the center position, so he'll become, you know, he'll be down in the paint so he'll be around the ball, but I also think he'll probably get a little older and bulk up even a little bit more and use his body positioning even better. Right now he uses his athleticism a lot to dictate how to maneuver in the paint, and I think he still has the potential to get his lower frame even bigger to really get guys out of the way. Kind of like what Love does. Love is clearly not taller than Jarrett Allen, and he's definitely not more athletically gifted than Allen. However, his size and the way he uses his positioning is more advanced than Jarrett. And I think that Jarrett has that potential to move into that role even later in his career, And I'd love to see Jarrett stay a Cav forever. You alluded to Mobley earlier staying on the team for a long time, hopefully his whole career. I'd love to see Jarrett stay in Cleveland. I think he's very very loyal. He seems like an amazing teammate. He's very smart. He's very consistent. And I think that he is a player who would be willing to stick with an organization for the long haul if he felt like he was respected and beloved there. And I think he is getting a lot of love here in Cleveland. So my answer would be Jared Allen. Thank you for listening to the
1: Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!